So we are coming to the end almost. Next week will be the last week of our Progressive Christianity series. And man, I've enjoyed it. I hope that you've enjoyed it. Basically, we've been looking at what this progressive lens is when we apply it to our lives and the world. We've talked about who God is and, and who Jesus is, who the Spirit is, who we are then. Um, what is our relationship to God? What, what, what does Jesus' life mean? What does the cross mean? We've talked about salvation. Um, and I know a lot of you want to continue these conversations, and we will probably, within other series and one-on-one, -on -one, we're still going to put together these position papers um, with basically a paragraph sort of definition about what all this means, concise for you to be able to take home with you. Last week, we talked about worship. The week prior to that, we talked about baptism. We want to talk about how all this plays out practically then, not just in the church's life, but in our personal lives. And that really brings us to today, where we're talking about missions. We're talking about outreach. We're basically talking about what does all of this mean when you leave then these doors? And I think many of us grew up or at least I did. I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, and um, it was all about missions. It was all about going out and sharing my faith and um, trying to get others saved. We had Monday night um, visitations where you were, did anybody grow up with this, where you would meet on Monday nights, and then you go door to door, yes, to go out and to reach people, to try to save people. We call um, those evangelistic SWAT teams. SWAT. We'd descend on the neighborhood and go in. So, yeah. Yeah, it worked well. <laughs> So I want to just maybe start with, and, and I on a dialogue this morning, and, but our mission statement here at Grace Point, our, our actual mission statement says, Grace Point exists to provide a safe place to better understand and experience God's love and full acceptance of us as we are and God's commitment to the process of making us whole in Christ. And then where do we take that? That's about us. That's a personal thing. But then I think the whole of progressive Christianity is that it does not stop at the personal. It goes out. But sure. our going out then maybe is a little different than it used to be. Yeah, uh, the two big words, I mean, you've used the word missions. The other big word for me is the word evangelism. Anybody grow up? I mean, that was the department of the church, missions and evangelism, right? Missions and those two words always went together. Missions and evangelism, for me, I'll just cut right to the chase, uh, simply was synonymous with proselytization. Proselytization, six L, that's a big one. Uh, proselytization, proselytize, to proselytize someone um, is to convert them, right? It, missions and evangelism was all pared down to converting the heathen to my faith, right? That's who they were, that's who we were, and it was all about conversion and proselytization. Um, so it certainly, that question is begged today. Uh, when you say missions and evangelism, what is missions? Well, I mean, do we have a mission? There's a good question for you just to chew on for a moment. Do you have a mission? You know, the idea of a mission it kind of intimate. it doesn't kind of intimate, it indicates strongly that you either have an impulsion or a compulsion. Is there a compulsion placed upon you as a human being? Do you have a mission in life? Uh, more specifically, as a Christian, in your taxonomy, you're not just a human, but you are a Christian human, most of you in this room. Is there incumbent upon you as a Christian, or placed upon you as a Christian, a mission? And then the word evangelism. Evangelism is just, it's the trans… Our Lord spoke in Aramaic, but His earliest followers 
wrote his words down in Greek, and the word uh, that they use quite often to refer to this mission of Jesus was that Jesus went everywhere proclaiming the euangelion. And that word got transliterated into English. Transliteration is when you take a word from one language and you literally just use the alphabet, your alphabet, to translate the specific letters of that word. So in Greek, euangelion is translated into English by just simply a shifting of the letters, and we call that evangelism, right? Evangelist, evangelize, evangelism. But euangelion, that Greek word, that Koine Greek word, literally meant good news. Good news. So then the question begs, and I would throw it back. Question begs, do we have good news? And, and if we do have good news, let's stop and look at it, Drew, and ask ourselves, why is it good? And why is it new? News. Is it new in any sense? And is it good? Do we have that? And then I think the third question would beg, what do we do with that? How do we share that? Um, I could answer all that if you want oh, me wait. to. Okay. Wait. <laughs> I think the good news, what we've talked about, if I could put it in a small short form, the good news then for us is that you and every other human being ever born is safe as the beloved of God. That is the good news. Healthy spirituality, then, we talked about this a lot, and Nowen speaks of this, Henry Nowen. It is the art, then, of homecoming, is the process, then, of growing into who you've always been as the beloved of God. Um, that's finding, then, their peace. And so I believe it's a huge call on our part to share that with the world. That's why I go into prisons with Ron. That's why we're headed there, to not tell these men how bad they are, but we're trying to remind them who they actually are so then they, then they can be called to live out of that goodness. A story that, um, that I have clung to through the years, one of my mentors in the faith is Tony Campolo. A lot of you love Tony and have read Tony through the years. Uh, I'm really, really, really privileged. been friends with Paul Johnson down here for years, but I get to go spend two or three days with a group of 40 people with Tony, uh, a little group of leaders called Red Letter Christians. And Tony has identified, he identified 40 leaders in the progressive Christian movement, and this year they added two, and they added me. And so that's like the highest honor that I've received in a long time, and it's indicative of what they want Grace Point's voice here. What we're doing here, they want at this meeting up in... Philadelphia, and I'll do that in December. But Tony told a story, and I've told it here before, but it's a, it's a really compelling story. He's a provocative speaker, prolific speaker. And one day he, he was, uh, I think it was in Philadelphia, and he was speaking at a large uh, conference there on the subject of social justice and in defense of the marginalized and the hurting in this world, the underserved in this world. Tony said that he was hurrying from lunch down the street on his way to speak at a plenary session. And he said as he was on this bustling street, shoulder to shoulder with thousands of people in this downtown area, he said he bumped hard into some, somebody, something, and he said it hit him so hard that it turned him around and he looked and it was an obviously homeless person. It's about a 95-degree day, and the homeless person, the homeless guy, 
uh, there on the street had a long overcoat on, and he was, he was uh, obviously, by the look of him, uh, Tony said he was obviously intent. He was on a bit of a mission. Tony said, I didn't know the mission was me, but he had this long overcoat on. He was sweating profusely, many layers. And he said, I looked at him, and he said, I was startled. I said, well, excuse me. And he said, the man kindly said, excuse me. And Tony said, I, I turned and headed down the street. And he said, when I got a little ways down the street, he said something inside of me said, turn around. And he said, when I turned around, the gentleman was standing there in the middle of all the people staring at me still. And he said, that was a bit startling. You expect to turn around and try to find the guy. And he wasn't. He was standing there staring. Tony said, I, I turned around and I went back to the guy and I said something like, could I help you today? And the guy said, yeah. And Tony said, as I fumbled around, he said, I was going to, you know, maybe give him some, something for lunch. He said he was holding a cup of coffee and he looked at me and before I could slip him a few dollars, he looked at me and said, yeah, you could help me today. I would love for you to give me a hug. And Campolo said there, he stood and a big full beard and, and he said, the big overcoat, sweating, and he said, I slipped the $5 bill back in my pocket, and he said, I reached up and hugged the guy, and he said, the guy hugged me like he hadn't been hugged in a long time, and he said, he held me, and when he pushed away from me, he looked in my eyes, and he said, would you like a drink of my coffee? Tony said, I looked down, it was a McDonald's coffee cup, and I looked at the guy, knowing that Jesus said it's more blessed to give than receive. Sometimes we selfishly hoard the gift of giving, don't we? But Tony said, I, I knew that the best thing that I could do for this gentleman at this moment was let him give me something. And he said, would you like a drink of my coffee? And he said, I said, sure. And he said, I took the cup, and he said, I lifted it, and I drank it. And he said, when I handed it back to him, the guy looked at me and said, the coffee this morning at McDonald's was especially good. And God's taught me, whenever you have something especially good in your life, you should share it. And to me, that's the heart. That's the heart of the human mission, whatever we called evangelism. And so the question that I have for all of us is, do you have something especially good that needs shared? The last thing I want us to do as pastors is stand up here and say, to a bunch of adult people sitting supposedly in rapt attention waiting on us, uh, that, that whole model is just breaking down. The question I have for you is, do you think that you have something especially good to share with other human beings? Um, Glenn, that's why with your Native American spirituality blended into Christianity, that's why you keep in inviting me over and say, the next time you come over, I'm going to smudge you. Glenn has this Native American spirituality that really captures the breath of God in smoke and sage, and I, I think it's lovely, and I'm going to go over for too long and get smudged. You know why he does that? Because he has something especially good in his life that he wants to share. What is this especially? You just spoke to it. I wonder… I wonder how what you just said about 
the message of Christianity. I wonder how we fit that into this idea of converting people and proselytizing people. I, I spent my entire life, I'm going to admit something, 31 years in ministry, 47 years in Christianity, the first 35 years of that in a fundamentalist form of Christianity where the impetus was to convert people. And I can tell you personally, outside of the fishing barrel of church, I don't, I don't know if I have effectively proselytized three people in my life. How about you? Really? Got a long list, Ben, of all the people that you've converted to Christianity? Do you? We made a big deal about it was the most important thing. I was sitting with a group of evangelical preachers about a year ago, and I asked them, I said, could you write a list of 10 people that you have personally taken from a non-Christian position and converted them to Christianity? And these 10 guys were megachurch pastors, and they all started talking about their altar calls. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not talking about the fishing pond of church. I'm talking about you personally and these neighbors that we're supposed to be. How does evangelism and missions, you got anything on that, fit into this idea of proselytizing and converting people? Well, two things. One, a quote by John Shelby Spong, um, he says, the mission of faith is no longer to convert. It is to transform the world so that every human life will have a better chance to live fully and thus to commune with the source of life to love wastefully, and thus to commune with the source of love, to find the courage to be, and thus to commune with the ground of all being. The mission of faith is no longer to convert, but to transform. Okay, so if I press back, and that those are beautiful words by Spong, transforming the space in which you engage a person, and, and possibly that person even being transformed by that transformative space, is different than converting them how? Converting them is calling them to then see things exactly as I see them. I'm converting them to my belief system. Right. What we've called sharing faith really wasn't sharing faith, it was imposing faith. I've sat down with people for years and thought that I was sharing faith with them, Sharing is when they put theirs on the table and you put yours on the table and we all eat a potluck. That's sharing. We didn't really share, did we? I mean, did we really sit down with another human being with their background all of their life and did we really listen to them? And did we ever possibly give them what we expected of them? What I expected of them was to listen to me intently and have a heart open. And if their heart was open, that meant they would see it my way. Was there any capacity that I was giving them that same gift? Any capacity. What we've expected of people, we haven't given them. We weren't really sharing. But I, I don't think that we were rude people imposing. I think it was imposed upon us ideologically. That was, that was indeed the, the case. Um, so the question then would be, if somebody were listening, I think I would ask me, well, do you think within your spirituality, within your Christianity, do you think you have something special to share? Yes, I, I actually do. I am so provoked, so moved, and so transformed by the central message and essence of Christianity. Last night, I was sitting at a restaurant with three other people, and I don't, I don't, I don't know how to talk. I don't know how to make small talk without 
somehow. And it's not the preacher in me. I literally feel my life has been transformed. I'm always trying to make a beeline to spirituality and God. I, I, I can't talk long about stock markets and World Series baseball games without trying. It's like Spurgeon said, I take a text and I make a beeline to the cross. I'm always trying to make a beeline to a spiritual conversation because I do think I have something to share. But I also believe differently now, I think every human being that I meet has something to share with me. And it has been a transformative experience to stop imposing upon people my faith and literally start sharing my faith with them, which implies they are allowed to share their journey with me. And it's amazing what the evangelist can gain when they open their ears. At times, the evangelist will become the evangelized. At times, you might even hear good news through someone that you were going to tell good news to. Now, there's no way around the fact, Mel, that this begs the question, if there is good news, is the good news preceded, and is the good news made good and new because it's preceded by a problem that we would call bad news? Is there bad news? Is there a black velvet backdrop that makes this diamond really pop and explode? And I think that's I think that's been a, a driving force in what we've called proselytizing and converting. We assume something about all of these people we're converting. And has our assumption been right? No, I think I would push back and say there's bad news that has not, it's not that bad news has been proclaimed over us, that we are sinners, that that is who we are, which is how we started. I think the bad news is that so many of us have missed it, and thus it's our call to go in and remind them, share the good news, something that they've been confused by. Again, I go back into prison. I'm not there to tell them you're sinners, you're, you're horrible, let's talk about who you are. I'm like, no, you, maybe you never realized that you're the beloved of God and thus called to act um, out of a better place, that the goodness in us is planted far deeper than any wrong we could ever do. And so the bad news then is something that we've created for ourselves in our confusion, thinking that the gods are angry, that God can't be with us. Built into the idea of euangelion, is not simply that it's good news, it's simply that it's good news that must be proclaimed. So when we're proclaiming the good news, which I, I agree with you, I think the good news is that every human being is born in the image of God. I think, as Paul said in Acts 17, we are all the offspring of God. I think that is incredibly good, good news. I, I think if there is any bad news, I think that human life, so far it seems that human life is beset with forgetting. I, I, think people, I think people come into life and immediately get assaulted in such ways that they begin to forget. I really believe that children have an inherent sense that they are the image of God. I think they have an inherent sense that they are safe but then life begins to assault, and I think there is a deep, deep forgetfulness. So if there is this thing called fall or depravity, <clears throat> I think it really settles into this, it really settles into this category of forgetting and being misled away from the truth of who we are. I mean, that's the story of the prodigal. He was born in union with the Father, right? He was born in the Father's house, and he takes this long journey of lostness. I believe in lostness. I mean, you look at it in his life. It was a long, dark journey. And at the apex of that journey, the negative apex of that journey, the, the deepest valley of that journey, 
The Bible said he came to himself. He came to himself. And it's that coming to yourself that I think is the salvation, the conversion moment. Do I think the message of Christianity can assuage and help people with forgetting? That's the question. And I think that the message of Christianity is all about helping people with that forgetfulness. I think the message of Christianity, when told properly, uh, adroitly, in, in its right form, I think the message of Christianity can redeem people, save people, convert people from that type of forgetfulness. Um, but I don't sense anymore, just to lay it out there for me, I don't sense anymore that the core story of the universe is that two ancestors ate a fruit that a snake talked them into eating, and every baby born since that moment deserves to be tortured forever. I have no sense that that's the bad news. Now, I want to tell you something. That would be bad news. And if you convinced people of that bad news, you could build quite a movement around it. But I don't have a sense that that's the bad news. I do have a sense that the bad news is in the garden story, and that is that there are many voices in our life that make us feel less than the beloved, and we estrange ourselves and alienate ourselves from God because we feel like God can't handle our brokenness. And we cover ourselves in fig leaves, and there's all manner of lostness, manifestations of that lostness. But I think the good news is that even after Adam and Eve sinned, God came into the garden. God came looking for them. They weren't looking for God. God came looking for them. And ever since that moment in every life, God has been on the path of those who have forgotten who they are. And I think Christianity is about remembering. I think even our central, you talked about worship last week, even our central act of worship, this thing called communion that so many people struggle with, at the heart of communion was Jesus saying, remember me. And I think at the heart of communion, Jesus is saying, remember you. I think at the heart of communion, Jesus is saying, remember, remember, put the members that are broken and torn apart back together in your mind. And thus, Paul said, discern the body of Christ, which is all people everywhere. So I think Christianity is a wonderful message of remembering. And I frankly believe that the good news is better than I ever thought it was. And so the question I have for a lot of us is if we believe the good news is better than we ever thought it was, why are we quieter about it? I think the good news is to be shared, and I think all of us should live every day looking for ways to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself, to recognize the good news that life is gift, and it's a gift to all people, and it should be shared mutually, lovingly with others. I think what's happened, Steve talked about what's happening at Grace Point. I think what's happening at Grace Point is so impeccably beautiful. The only thing that sometimes strikes me about Grace Point as being wrong is how few people know about it. And I think all of us should be looking every day to share our faith, to share the beauty of this church, to share the beauty of the gospel in all kinds of ways. And uh, I think there are thousands of people that if they knew what kind of a community we're building here at Grace Point, they would come. Because it seems like everybody who stumbles in here says, man, we didn't know about this. This is 
wonderful and beautiful, and it should be shared.